Hello, my name is Ran, and this is the Flow Artist Podcast. Every episode, my co-host Joe Stewart and I speak with inspiring movers, thinkers, and teachers about how they find their flow and much, much more. I'd like to start by honouring the traditional owners of the unceded land on which this episode was recorded, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Joe and I both pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging. In this episode, we speak with B. Muhammad, Head of Patient Advocacy at Astrid Dispensary. Astrid is a specialty pharmacy pioneering in cannabinoid medicine and plant-based therapies located at the heart of South Yarra in Melbourne. With a focus on patient-centred care, Astrid is the first female-led dispensary in Australia. Founded by a clinical pharmacist with extensive experience in the medicinal cannabis industry. B was also the first CEO of Scriptwise, a non profit patient advocacy organization dedicated to prevent the harms associated with prescription medication overdose and addiction. So she's got a long history in the field of harm minimization. Please be advised that we do talk about mental health and addiction in our conversation. So we just wanted to give you a content warning about those topics. As a couple who genuinely believe in the benefits of plant medicine and reducing the stigma that is sometimes attached to it, Joe and I were super excited to speak with B for this episode. Let's get into our conversation with B. All right. Hello, B. It's so good to uh, finally get the chance to talk with you. I was just wondering, perhaps we could start with you telling us a little bit about what you do at Astrid, both day to day and perhaps your broader mission. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. So my role at Astrid is I'm the head of patient advocacy and engagement. And I have to say it's it's quite unique for a pharmacy as such to have, I guess, a role dedicated to that. So my day today is obviously helping patients navigate through the system when they actually want to access plant-based medicines, obviously medicinal cannabis in this situation, but also beyond that, when they've already accessed medicinal cannabis, my role is actually to help them if they were to have any issues around employment, drug driving, workers' compensation, and I guess the list goes on. So I'm sort of that person that comes in when a patient is discriminated because of the choice that they've made to use medicinal cannabis as their medication. And I guess for Astrid, the reason why we, I guess, felt the need to have such a role is we, we saw so many barriers in the system when it comes to progressive medicines and so we wanted to make sure that not just at an individual level but also at a systemic level we're hopefully able to make a change as well. And I must say as a customer, client, I really noticed that difference in care. Like it's usually if you go to a pharmacy and get a new medicine, they'll check in to see if you've had it before, but no one calls you a week later just to see how you're going. And it really feels like you treat people as whole people rather than just, oh, you've got this symptom, take this. Yeah, absolutely. I think I have to say, you know, I mean, we've, it's only been over a year that we've, we've, been around but I guess why why we so value the importance of that Joe is because when patients come to us they've been through so much within the healthcare system so you know they've they've either been on medications for so long and it hasn't worked 
or they have healthcare practitioners that don't really trust them when they say, hey, this is not working for me. So patients go through so much to get to medicinal cannabis. So when they come to us, we want to make sure, A, they feel like they're being trusted and obviously they have hope that, you know, things will actually get better in terms of their quality of life. So I think it's it's more because patients, yeah, we, we want to create a space and we're able to create that space to, for patients to feel like, okay, I finally landed somewhere where, you know, it's it's sort of something where it's not just treating with medication but also we try to help in I guess a more holistic approach if if there's an opportunity to as well so I'm I'm really glad that you know you've sort of had a really positive experience. And I'm not someone who's come from a really traumatic medical history either and I still appreciated that extra care and I'd like to go a little bit more into like what are the current laws around medical cannabis use in Australia because it's all pretty new, right? Yeah, so it is pretty new obviously compared to, you know, Canada's been legalised medicinal cannabis for like 20 years now and North America probably about 15 in most of the states. We're about five years of having a a legal framework here in Australia. The system is still quite confusing and hard for patients, like I said at the start, to navigate through. So, you know, it's, it's still considered almost as not the first option of treatment. So what that means is patients really would have had to exhaust other medications before they even get to trial medicinal cannabis. So most of our typical patients are patients who've been on pain medication or antidepressants for quite some time, I have to say, and and suffered, I guess, side effects and realised that it hasn't worked. And then that's how the regulation, I guess, permits the doctor to prescribe medicinal cannabis for them. It is still a private medication here in Australia as well. So what that means is the patient bears the entire cost of the medication, which is can be quite challenging for patients on pension or patients who aren't able to work full-time because of their conditions. So, so we're a very long way to making sure that it works for patients at the end of the day. And that's also something that you're advocating for, right? Like getting it added to the pharmaceutical benefit scheme or getting a little bit more subsidy support for people who are struggling financially, especially if that's because of the health condition that they're getting this medication for. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we try our best. I think, I mean, the PBS side of thing will probably take a very long time. I almost feel from our point of view, there needs to be a separate regulatory framework for medicinal cannabis than what it has been for pharmaceutical medications here in Australia. Because, you know, to get a PBS registered medication, it means companies have to invest millions and millions of dollars to get even the product registered. So, but yeah, it's it, what we try to do in small ways at the moment, you know, if a patient is, for example, on a pension or they have a healthcare card, then, you know, we work with some clinics that offer a concession rate just to make the consults a little bit more affordable. And there are a couple of companies there that also offer concession rates for patients. But, you know, when you're on a pension and you're only getting $800 a fortnight and if your medications are costing you about two or three hundred dollars you know a month it's it's a huge it's a huge decision to make between 
you know, do I spend my money on my medication versus, you know, whether I can get groceries. So I think that's been the biggest challenge for us. The patients who always really need it are the ones who aren't able to afford it as well. Yeah, because they would be the ones who would be the most debilitated by the health issues that they're seeking the medication for, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So it's been hard. And even, you know, I mentioned workers' compensation before, like patients who've been injured at work and they're not working because of the injury. And if they've gone through all that medications that previously taken and they want to try medicinal cannabis, even the workers' compensation companies are refusing to acknowledge medicinal cannabis as a valid treatment. So what happens is while they were happy to remunerate patients for other medications, they won't cover for this. So, so yeah, it's it's very. I would have to say, I never have a boring day at work. It's very <laughs> frustrating because you're literally like, how how is it like it's so backwards? But you know, it's yeah. Hopefully, we'll get there, and hopefully, we can get more awareness around it as well. And could you go more into that awareness area? Like we've mentioned pain and depression. What are some of the other health conditions that could benefit from medical cannabis? Yeah, so the main, I would say, indications that the TGA approves medicinal cannabis for is the chronic pain, sleep and anxiety. So just to give you an idea, like 70% of the approvals that come from the TGA for medicinal cannabis is for chronic pain. So we see a lot of chronic pain patients coming through. I think the more recently because of the pandemic, We've really seen a huge increase of patients obviously taking medicinal cannabis for the anxiety just because they've realised their anti-anxiety or antidepressants doesn't work. There's a whole lot of, you know, obviously inflammatory conditions as well, like arthritis, that's really helpful and we're really starting to see a lot of research and a lot of benefit to other conditions like polycystic ovary syndrome as well as endometriosis. So, you know, it's, it's, I have have to say it's getting better in terms of what conditions the government allow for medicinal cannabis to be prescribed for. So it's definitely sort of opened that criteria a little bit more than what it used to be when it was first legalised, I think, which was pretty much just, you know, sort of terminal illnesses and epilepsy. Yeah, I remember reading an article about children with epilepsy and how much of a powerful medicine it was in terms of their daily experience, in terms of how much their seizures went down. And I felt so terrible for those parents and for those kids that they were dealing with all of that before that time. And then before cannabis became legal as a treatment in Australia, they were kind of maybe trying to get some from overseas and facing some legal fears around that as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's, you know, it's it's sort of what I find so humbled by being able to work in this sector is medicinal cannabis is, I guess it's a sector that was sort of created because of patients. So like all over the world, when you see how medicinal cannabis was actually legalized, it was all patient driven. So, you know, people were sort of realizing that this is a plant medicine that have existed for, you know, what, since 3000 BC, and it's really, really benefited a lot of people, but it became an illicit drugs because governments around the world decided it was going to be that in the 60s to the early 90s. And 
it was pretty much patients who mums of like kids with epilepsy like you said but also patients who were suffering from cancer who you know obviously through some of the heavy medications realized that cannabis really allowed them to I guess heal a little bit better compared to some of the medications and it was actually these patients that were the one that advocated for this medication to be legalized so it's pretty I think it's pretty what's wonderful about it it's like it's a testament to I guess people sort of power change it still exists (laughs) so I have hope yeah and I guess the cancer example is a really good one because that's people taking medical cannabis to like help them manage their chemotherapy symptoms so they feel okay enough to eat and maybe even have a little bit more of an appetite and if you aren't working with a doctor or you aren't working with a dispensary knowing how your cannabis medication might interact with your other medications I think could be a really scary issue and a big fear for a lot of people. So I see that as also being a really powerful aspect of what you do, like being the bridge between the plant medicine and the conventional medicine and knowing about both. Yeah, absolutely. And that's such an important point. I think, you know, while a lot of patients, you know, have had, you know, cannabis even before it was legalised, The importance of having a relationship, obviously, with a prescribing doctor who's trained and knowledgeable around the issue, as well as our pharmacists, like you said, knowing the interactions with any other medications, but also just understanding dosing, titrations of other medications that they're trying to come off as well. So it makes a huge difference. And then beyond that as well, I think a lot of patients now, while they've realised, you know, cannabis have really helped them and they've used it through I guess you know other channels they now want to understand how it works in their body as well as what strains work for their condition so people I think are now trying to seek that information themselves because I think as a society we're somewhat becoming more conscious of what we're putting to our body as medicines as well. Especially if it's something you might have to take ongoing for a chronic condition. Absolutely, yeah. So I think it's great because, you know, I think a lot of patients, because of the medications they've been previously on, they weren't aware of side effects. So when they come to medicinal cannabis, they really want to, I guess, empower themselves and have all the information around what, you know, how it works in your body and everything. And I guess that's when Astrid's, you know, really, we're really passionate about is providing as much support and information to their patient when they're being prescribed. Like we literally take 20 minutes to sit down and talk through a patient. This is your medication. This is what your endocannabinoid system is and how it works in your body, what foods you have. So we really take that time. And like you said, you know, we also allow patients to always ring us and ask any questions when they start on their medication as well. Actually, it would be really great to go through that now. Would you mind giving us a brief description of the endocannabinoid system and how how it works in the body? Yeah, sure. So I have to declare I'm not a healthcare practitioner, but, you know, I've worked in the cannabis industry long enough now, so I'm comfortable talking about it. I guess in really plain English terms that I normally would explain to patients is, you know, your endocannabinoid system is pretty much a you know, your biological system that exists that regulates and balances key bodily functions. So, you know, plays an essential 
role in both our central immune systems. So that's sort of the two systems I normally use to describe to a patient when they ask, you know, what's an endocannabinoid system. So, you know, sort of looking from that point of view, that's why cannabis is a plant because it works with receptors in our central and immune systems. That's why you can see the benefit it's really brought to regulating functions such as how body control inflammation, like how it helps with mood and sleep. So, you know, it sort of works naturally with receptors that already exist within our body so and there's an amazing video on how the endocannabinoid system works by one of the doctors that we work with Dr. Matty Moore on Honolulu's website and he you know he explains it really well and yeah it's it's sort of you know is a natural way of how the plant medicine works biological biologically within our system. Oh we'll put a link to that in our notes Mm. that sounds great and I think a lot of people might be hesitant to try medical cannabis because like they need to feel clear headed through the day. So they might want pain relief, but not the psychoactive effects. Could you explain a little bit the difference between THC and CBD? Yes, I would say that's the most asked question because, you know, while there is a huge stigma on medicinal cannabis, there's an even bigger stigma around THC. So CBD and THC are like the two most prominent cannabinoids found in the cannabis plant. So THC is the psychoactive component and CBD obviously is the non-psychoactive. And I guess a lot of, you know, because of what the media and a lot of our drug laws have always focused around THC it has a really bad rep as a you know as a molecule so a lot of patients when they come to us even if they suffer from chronic pain for example they will say hey can I can I just be prescribed CBD because I don't want to feel that psychoactive you know effect or I don't want to feel drowsy the next day the huge difference, again, coming back to the point of taking medicinal cannabis and having your prescribing doctor and the pharmacist is, A, taking medicinal cannabis, how the plant is being manufactured and not having, you know, pesticides or chemicals used on the plant and it's a regulated product so you understand the level of THC that's in it as well as what strains that you're using. And then, of course, having the support of the doctor and the pharmacist with your dosing, it's always like sort of, you know, if you're taking it medicinally and you're taking it as prescribed in terms of your dosing and the right strain that works for you, it's really rare that a patient would feel I guess, really groggy the next day or sort of feel like, you know, some patients always ask, Would I get will I get really stoned? And it's it's just, you know, these sort of questions are because we've had a certain perception around medicinal or cannabis really. But the difference is when you use it medicinally, like I said, having healthcare practitioners around you, I guess working with you to to understand what dosing works for you to obviously a help with the symptom but also making sure that you don't feel I guess sort of the that euphoric effect when you're actually taking it is is the importance again to why accessing it legally is so important too. I've got a question. You might not be able to help with this one because it's actually from another doctor, but a friend of mine just wanted to have CBD for all of those reasons. And her doctor actually recommended she get a CBD oil that did have some THC in it because he feel like they worked in synergy with each other. Is that a common point of view? 
Yeah. So definitely. So like, you know, for example, with sleep, majority of our patients will be given a predominantly CBD product with like a 3% sort of THC in it. And what that really helps is the the THC does at times work complementary to the CBD. So it helps to activate the CBD a little bit better as well. So there's definitely, and even like some of the balance oil, you see like a 50-50 CBD to THC. Again, that works really well for a lot of patients as well. So I think it's like both of these molecules together does actually work your endocannabinoid system pretty well. And as well as like in isolate. So like when it's just CV on its own, it also has its benefits, but more towards the central nervous system. So again, it goes back to like how, you know, I guess we've had such a huge stigma on the plant itself. And then again, when we talk about THC, that's sort of what people have always sort of associated with like, you know, I guess what marijuana is. And it's like all the bad stuff about it is THC. Whereas Again, when you actually use it medicinally, there's benefits to these compounds. And I think another common concern that people might have as well is the potential to be dependent on this medication, which of course is a huge issue with opioid-based painkillers. Is this also a concern with cannabis? Yeah, and I think it's sort of, again, that's another question a lot of patients ask. And so it goes back to what your doctor has prescribed you for in the dosing that is actually recommended for your medication. So, you know, most patients when they have, you know, we we definitely see patients where, you know, because they use it from a recreational point of view or, or, or source, they come to us because they've started because initially they're like, hey, I've started using cannabis because it really helped my sleep, but now I'm using more and more. And that's why it goes back to that whole situation where we always say, look, it it provides that benefit, but having a doctor and having a pharmacist that actually makes you understand and sort of control your dosing and stick to the dosing ultimately so your body does not build that tolerance like everything else, then that's the most important thing because, you know, there's it's always when it sort of goes out of control between what you and your healthcare practitioners sort of advising is when I guess the dependency part of it may come in as well. And would you like to share a bit about the work that you do with Scriptwise? Because I know this is like a big area of interest for you. Yes. So yeah, I mean, that felt like ages ago now, but yes, the Scriptwise was a not-for-profit organization that was started by, you know, a whole bunch of families in Australia and it was sort of spearheaded by um Heath, the late Heath Ledger's dad and I was very very blessed to have been the CEO to start the organization with him and the reason why that organization started was in Australia we were starting to see a lot of I guess people developing that opioid dependency as well as long-term use of even like benzodiazepines and what was happening was the number of accidental prescription medication overdose was really high. So I think when I left five years ago, we were talking about, you know, 1,900 Australians a year that die from a prescription medication overdose. So it was a huge issue. We were definitely going through a phase in the Australian medical system where patients were just given tons and tons of medications. There was overprescribing. There was also lack of care to its patients when in terms of managing their pain so the list goes on and 
it's it's something that's really close to me and that's how I I guess was transition into the kind of this sector was seeing the devastating effects of some of these medications that ended up in an overdose was so was so hard because you almost like how how can I change the system when you know it's it's sort of when they get to you for help at that stage it's almost like they get put into a rehab system with with sort of more illicit drug use and they just fail within that system they come out and it's like back to square one again so while I achieved some great changes in terms of regulations I wanted to move a little bit sooner in the patient's journey where I guess they don't end up as a statistic because it was really hard every single day seeing coroner's report on my table and stuff and that's why I got into the cannabis industry because it was way before even was legalized and I started to hear from some patients going, hey, you know, the rehab didn't work. I'm actually now taking cannabis illegally to help manage my pain. And that was what sparked my interest. And yeah, I was very lucky to be to have been given an opportunity three years ago to like worked in the industry. Yeah, because that's a big thing. Like if someone developed their addiction because they were taking medication for their pain and they still have the pain after the rehab, it's like, what are the other options? Yeah, it's really hard. And managing pain within, for example, within a family clinic is so hard. Your consultations are 15 minutes. It's really hard for a patient to be like, hey, this is what's not working. So then it's very sort of it puts that pressure on the doctor of like, well, what's the easiest solution to this? And obviously the pharmaceutical drug is what is the solution. Then the other problem we have within the medical system is even if patients wants to go see a pain specialist, I remember when we were sort of giving talks in regional parts of Australia, it was up to about a nine to 10 month wait for patients to see a pain specialist. So it's pretty much a system that's broken. We just don't really see it until you obviously end up in that system and you sort of go, wow, this is actually really hard to navigate. And and I guess that's why, like I said, even at the start when patients come to us for medicinal cannabis, it's like it's 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 sort of familiar to the work I did at Scriptwise because when they tell the stories, it's like, yes, that's what I used to hear every day. So it's a bit better that we get to help them a little bit earlier and sooner in the journey, but still it's for them to get to us. It's It's even that's really challenging for them. And are you finding that GPs even know about this as an option or is it more people doing their own research who find their way to you? Yeah, so pretty much in Australia, like any prescribing doctor or GP can actually write a script for medicinal cannabis. So the TGA makes it really clear that you can just log into a portal and actually write the script. The issue here is, you know, your everyday GP is quite hesitant to actually upskill or, or sort of get that information or knowledge around medicinal cannabis as a progressive medicine. So the problem here is also when patients finally go to the you know usual doctor and they say, hey, you know, all these medications that you've prescribed for the last four to five years, it's not really helped me. I want to trial medicinal cannabis. Some doctors are really supportive and they just go, yeah, I'll support you, but I'll write you a 
a referral letter. So they just refer them on to a specialist or a doctor that does. Some doctors even go to our patients and say, uh, well, actually, if you go down that route, I probably can't see you again. Whoa. So, so there is this stigma of like, oh, if you're going to consider marijuana, and they always say that if you want to consider that, well, then I'm not sure if we can have this continuing relationship, you know? So that's when I guess I live in my little Astrid bubble sometimes and when patients come to me and they're gynecologists or the pain specialist or anyone says, I will no longer treat you or have a you know, relationship with you, if you go down this route, that's when I go, wow, we've got so much more work ahead of us, you know. Before we go on, I just wanted to remind you that you can use our discount code MACFLOW at markaloo.com to get 10% off. You'll support the podcast and a great sustainable Australian company. The Markaloo is a set of nesting domes on a wooden base that you can use for self-massage, stability and proprioceptive awareness. It's such a great, portable and accessible tool that really opens up new movement possibilities. And it's a great addition to chair yoga, adding stability challenges to a floor-based practice or for anyone who loves self-massage. The shape of the Markaloo domes are actually designed to be helpful and comfortable to hold for people working with arthritis or peripheral neuropathy, and their nesting nature allows you to gradually increase load. Check out our link in the show notes for all our Markaloo resources, including some free video classes. So do, do you think there's situations where people might be getting this treatment but not actually telling their their normal GP or, or primary caregiver? Yeah, so there are patients that do that, but then when they come to us as well and they, I guess, say, you know, hey, my GP's not supportive or whatever, we also do have the ability to say to them, you know what, the doctor that prescribes your medicinal cannabis, they are also a GP. So you can also go to them continuously as your doctor like if your if your GP if your regular GP is not supporting this you know because at the end of the day I think everything when it comes to your health is trust like you need to have the trusting relationship with your doctor with your pharmacist with your psychologist like everyone and I think you know if if the GP or the patient does not trust you know which way or other it's like well then that's I feel is very important to your start of getting better as well is having someone that supports you and gives you all the resources so that you can actually get better so we normally then say to patients like look you know all our doctors are actually GPs so if you just want to see them you know outside of your medicinal cannabis just for your day-to-day stuff like they're happy to do that as well. So we do help to, I guess, in a way, empower patients to make that choice themselves too. Yeah, it's like you want your healthcare people to be on your team and supporting (laughs) you. (laughs) Yeah, I think, you know, this is why some days I get so frustrated because some of the stories that I hear, I just go, what? Like where, where is that duty of care? You know, where is that due to care? Like when you finish your uni and you study medicine, like, you know, you, you do like a, some sort of oath that, you know, you'll do due to care of patients no matter what. Like when you get, you know, when you get admitted to the college, that's sort of what you're supposed to do. So sometimes, and, and again, that's why it goes back to how at Astrid we really, really spend the time to making sure that we care for patients because, 
unfortunately, more often than not, they have been mistreated within the system as well. Yeah, we've had a bit of a medical system journey when Ryan had cancer about five years ago. And one of the things that we heard, which I think really helped shift our perception, is to treat your medical team like they're your consultants. Like they work for you and you can also get some other opinions from other specialists if you feel like what they're suggesting isn't the best outcome for you because we like we heard quite a few stories from other people who didn't actually think that the course of treatment their doctor was suggesting was right for them but they were kind of too afraid to say so or they didn't want to hurt their doctor's feelings. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, one thing I realised at Scopewise is our, our system is very much interventional. So a lot of practitioners are very much trained to like, oh, what's the first intervention, be it medications or surgery? So the whole issue of pain and why the whole like opioid medication thing sort of became massive in terms of prescribing was a lot of patients would have surgery as a first point of, you know, it's sort of like even if they're pretty young, it's like surgery is like what's best for you for your lower back pain and then they leave the hospital with tons of medications or same as a lot of our patients with endometriosis so it's like they see a gynecologist and you know after trying contraception it's like next solution is hey let's do a surgery and, and sort of you know treat that so we sort of take a step back because the whole idea of plant medicine anyways it's almost like going back to you know, your early days where your body does have the ability to heal. So so that's also part of what we do is like when we do the screening process and a patient comes to us and say, well, actually my gynae suggested for me to have a hysterectomy at 26 and I normally go, well, you know, maybe seek a second opinion and it would have never occurred to them that that's even something they should do. You know, so we normally go take a step back. You know, there are holistic doctors can really help to treat your endometriosis from a holistic whole of person approach before surgery is an option. So we say go get a second opinion and then we help them potentially find the right gynae that's able to support them and everything. So it's, yeah, it's, it's so, it's so sort of like, yeah, interesting to sort of, you know, and especially with what we've gone through and, the last two years with the pandemic and how the medical system has been really focused on that. You know, it's always, I feel patients continue to just suffer because they're not able to get the right support most of the time. Yeah, I've even heard the opposite on patients who actually have done a lot of research and have decided that they do want to have a hysterectomy or another treatment that would make them sterile and their male doctors will just deny that option because they're too young and it's just assumed that, oh, if you don't want kids now, you might later when, you know, they've come to that decision and... Yeah, it's really, especially in the women's health world, it's so frustrating reading about the disparity of like how women's pain is treated compared to men's pain. And yeah, I think, what is it like? It's an average of seven years to even get diagnosed with endometriosis. It's then- crazy. And even ADHD, we're starting to see a lot of female patients in their late 30s who've recently been diagnosed with ADHD as well and and so yeah but you're right the journey somehow for women it's like a lot more convoluted and it's longer for them to get a diagnosis and that's why sometimes I'm like man it's you know 
I'm always blessed when they come to us because we're like, let us, you know, help you and find the right support around you because because medicinal cannabis is just one part of their life, one tool that we can give them as a medicine that helps them. But where we encourage them, it's like holistically, like what other support do you need to get better? Because that's the thing. It's like, you know, we want patients to get better. And and if they're no longer on medicinal cannabis in the next five years, that's fine. But if they have a quality of life and they're happy, like that's us, like that's our job done at the end of the day. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks for your good work. <laughs> On your website, you mention as well that there's like a really big gender disparity within the cannabis industry and Astrid as a female-led dispensary with a diverse team is a bit of a rarity. Would you like to speak a bit more about how this might affect like both the individual customer experience but also the industry as a whole as it grows here in Australia? Yeah, sure. I mean, look, it's it's sort of pretty much the case, I guess, everywhere even in Canada and North America you're only starting to see like for example in North America a huge rise of I guess sort of businesses and initiatives around the cannabis space that are owned by like black people so it's sort of something that you know Lisa who's the founder of Astro when we were both working at Canopy we were like wow there's a lot of men in the industry <laughs> like <laughs> considering, considering like the flower you know the medicinal like benefits of the flower comes from only the female plant it's the complete opposite when you work in the industry and it was it was sort of I mean our office was probably the most diverse like even at Canopy we were a very diverse group of people but I think Lisa wanted to take a step further because like every meeting we went, it's it's almost like you're the only female and sometimes you're like my role was the advocacy manager for Asia Pacific at Canopy and a lot of people thought I was my boss's PA. So it's just like it was so male-dominated that we're like, hey, we want to, you know, it's the plan is like, beneficial when it's female it's an industry that's new so we have that opportunity to change it at the very start rather than wait like 10 years after the industry's been done then we're like oh well where's where's all the women in the industry so so Lisa did really well in making sure that you know we are about being female-led so the entire like management team all females and and I think I we were sort of Obviously, like people, a lot of patients ask us, oh, do you have men working there? It's like, of course, you know, it's female. That doesn't mean like we don't actually sort of have any male employees. And then obviously for Lisa coming from, I guess, a diversity point of view was very important to just sort of make sure that the industry was sort of, you know, open to everyone of different backgrounds. And I guess for the patient, funny enough, a lot of our female patients, they come to us because they were like, wow, this is a female-led business. I really want to come here. And I think they already feel sort of safe and comfortable knowing that it's sort of a female-led business as well. So, so yeah, it was really cool to sort of, I guess, be the first one sort of making sure that we emphasise on the sort of identity that was sort of missing, I guess, within the industry as well. And I could imagine as well a lot of those meetings where they thought you were the PA, were there a lot of white guys in those meetings? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. I mean, yeah, like there's definitely a lot more sort of whiteness in the industry as well. But look, I I think it'll get better and I think, 
you, you know, just even within some of the company things, you know, women get into really sort of executive positions. It always like makes me and Lisa really happy because, you know, sort of we need to always have that sort of opportunity to sort of make sure it's not an industry that ends up being very male dominated too. So, And just kind of further along that kind of marginalised experience, I know that Indigenous Australians are way overrepresented when it comes to being arrested and charged with like low-level cannabis drug offences and also very overrepresented when it comes to mental health statistics and physical health statistics and that also cannabis is a problem in some remote communities. Do you know or is, is there anyone kind of doing advocacy work with a First Nations focus? Yeah. I definitely am aware of that and I guess when I was working with Canopy that was probably one of my main projects or interests that I really wanted to do here because in Canada the company that I worked for Canopy Grove you know I guess were doing a bit of work around First Nations and how you know 20 years after cannabis was legalized the First Nations were never engaged and my then boss, Hilary Black, did some amazing work in Canada in making sure that, you know, it wasn't even like, oh, let's make them a part of the conversation, but like how can they benefit, you know, in terms of the industry because they've been very incarcerated as well. In Australia, unfortunately, again, it's probably a topic that's not even on discussion within the medicinal cannabis sector, if I'm being really honest. I haven't been in the sector only for two and a half, three years, I've not even once heard anyone sort of speaking about how while medicinal cannabis sector is projected to make billions of dollars in the next couple of years, I've not really heard of anyone sort of coming out and going, we need to do more for the Indigenous community. So, look, I'm not going to speak in, in terms of what Astrid might do, but I think for myself, if there's a way to work with a you know, I guess numerous organisations or companies where we can actually do something around the space. I think it's really, really important considering not just the incarceration, but like you you said, you know, the the use of cannabis amongst Indigenous communities is really, really high. And if there's a way for them to be, you know, sort of, I guess, be educated around the plant in terms of like using it medicinally and, and how we can sort of find a way to work with them, I think that would be great. One of the cool sort of initiatives that I had the opportunity to see in New Zealand was up the east coast of New Zealand, there was a um, company called Hikrangi and they actually employed Maoris who've been incarcerated by, you know, small possession of cannabis and they employed them, they educate them around cannabis, they were the growers and then eventually they had a sort of, I guess, a pathway to being in the industry and having some sort of, you know, ability to sort of change a lot of the policies that affected their community as well. So it was really cool that in New Zealand it happened really quickly and how there were companies that were focusing on that. So I really, I really, really do hope that in Australia we get to do something like that very soon. Well, one awesome thing that is happening in Australia right now is the Greens, one of their platforms is cannabis legalisation and the Greens are running an all First Nations Senate this year. And I know that um, Celeste Little and Lydia Thorpe are really pushing for change within this area. So 
there is definitely uh, hope in Australia and hope for like Indigenous-led change as well. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I definitely would love there is a responsibility for the industry. You know, we can't be making the amount of profits and money and reporting all these amazing financial outcomes, you know, to to the world and how the industry in Australia is growing and, and sort of not talk about this. It's I think it's absolutely crucial that we do and the industry has to be responsible. And like you've said in some other areas, it's like this is a really new industry, so let's grow it the way that we want to rather than just kind of have all of this baggage of like past patriarchal systems and discrimination baked in. It's like you can start fresh and work towards a better future. Absolutely. And, you know, I think why I'm so passionate about this industry is because I always have seen medicinal cannabis as like a breakthrough medicine. So like patients, when they come to us, like, you know, for example, veterans who come to us and they've suffered so, so much and they've been through all that medication, they've really struggled and they've in a way been ostracized by the society when it comes to their healthcare and then they have medicinal cannabis and they have the right support and it's their breakthrough medicine. They finally go, all right, I'm conscious. I'm, I'm, I can see, you know, I can feel hope. I can get better. So for me, it's biased, but like I do genuinely feel that medicinal cannabis as a progressive medicine will really change certain policies, especially within the drug reform. Like I, I used to work in the harm reduction space and we think we're progressive here with our drug reforms. Well, we're definitely not. You know, <laughs> so I, I, I'm very, I, I guess, I hope that medicinal cannabis becomes that platform where a lot of policies that has been, you know, so taken so long to change will eventually change. And kind of with that future hope, are there any new developments or new clinical trials that have had really encouraging results? Like I don't have details, but I've read a couple of studies that it can be helpful for long COVID and even as a preventative medication along with vaccination, like people are less likely to get COVID if they're using medical CBD. Yeah, I think there was a lot of research around that overseas. I've definitely read publications around that. Me personally, I, I'm not aware of what were the outcomes of that. I'm more aware of, I guess, clinical trials and studies that are done locally. I think the biggest, well, the two biggest ones that we're really starting to see with medicinal cannabis is definitely within providing the scientific evidence around endometriosis. Like there's a couple of great studies around that as well as like IBS, so any sort of gut health and irritable bowel syndrome. There was actually a, a study that was sort of, you know, um, providing clinical trials to patients who obviously were able to benefit from cannabis for their gut health. So those were the two ones happening locally. The one with COVID, I'm not sure, you know, because that, that was done overseas, so I'm not really sure to what the outcome actually presented but I think in terms of progressive medicine, one of the biggest movement we're starting to see as well is obviously into um, psilocybin as well. And that's definitely, I guess, one that may potentially change a lot within the mental health sector and how, you know, your traditional antidepressants and anti-anxiety are being used. And so what's what's the current state of those types of studies? Like have they had positive results with people? 
Yeah, I think Monash University was one that did a really, you know, had really positive effects with mental health, you know, and then St. Vincent's Hospital in Melbourne, I think, I think they're still going on with that trial. They did one for patients who, I guess, were suffering from terminal illness. And it obviously, with psilocybin, it really helped them grasp, you know, I guess the concept of death and it really allowed patients to sort of be at peace in that regard. So they were really positive studies and obviously on top of that you know when you see what's happening in Canada as well with psilocybin especially amongst the veteran community I think that's going to be a huge one especially with PTSD so again you know I always say you know patients always asking me when are we going to get prescribed psilocybin and and I always say you know obviously hopefully soon but Again, it goes back to if we don't have a framework that works for something like medicinal cannabis, you know, it's going to be very challenging for the government to regulate like things like psilocybin or MDMA. And so it's really interesting that, you know, all of this is starting to become more and more at the forefront of like actual medical research, because I guess that's how we get some systemic change. But I know that cannabis, like it's got a really long history in traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda. Do you know if there are any studies going on that involve collaboration with traditional practitioners from those backgrounds? Like, do you think they'll be able to prescribe in the future? Yeah, I think there's definitely a bigger shift in that in in Canada and North America. Like, for example, there is a huge push sort of, you know, within that sort of more traditional like you said, Chinese medicine, Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic, sort of herbalist, sort of like they're able to sort of work with with cannabis or medicinal cannabis and such. Again, in Australia, it's been very, very medical. So it's sort of like it sort of almost I feel a lot of decision makers wanted to sit within a more sort of pharmaceutical framework. So it's it's going to be really interesting. Again, in New Zealand, they, they seem to always be, you know, ahead of us. In New Zealand, when I was there the last time, two years ago before Astrid, def- already there was a huge push from herbalists, for example, to sort of be able to sort of use medicinal cannabis as part of their integrative medicine. So, you know, when they treat patients with Chinese medicine, they're able to potentially even use medicinal cannabis so there was already that push from associations there for that. So again, in, in Australia, I think there was at least a start to sort of consider CBD as a novel food. So to have it as a supplement so that, you know, a lot of these practitioners are able to use it. Of course, my personal view, it's, you know, obviously haven't been growing up with Ayurvedic medicine because I'm half Indian as well. Like it's something that I do feel it needs to be integrated. So, you know, if, Patients, when they normally come to this, they actually want a more natural approach. So so I, I do personally see there would be benefit if there was a way to integrate this into the more sort of holistic or traditional practices. Yeah, and also just to like honour the wisdom traditions of those practices because otherwise it's just colonisation, right, to take this oh. thing that's been used for thousands of years and like deny the people who actually know how to use it. Absolutely. Don't get me started on that topic. <laughs> <laughs> I do agree. I do agree. But, you know, it's always, I don't know, it's it's a very hard one because, 
you know, so much needs to be shifted in our medical system before we even get to that place. And sometimes I get excited, sometimes I get sad, sometimes I'm just confused. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's it's sort of something that, you know, how do we pay when, you know, we, we talk so much about this being a plant medicine, but I think what's more important is paying that respect and honouring it to the origins of the plant and how it was used and where it came from. But, again, that's that's probably just me dreaming. Oh, I share that dream. <laughs> <laughs> and so I guess the next question is for people who might have listened to all of this who maybe live in a remote community or who don't have a nice GP who <laughs> lets them take charge of their health, Like, what's the best way to access medical cannabis? And I'm thinking especially for people who might not live in a big city where there's a lot of choice in terms of your medical practitioners. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, with Ashwin, most of our doctors actually work by telehealth anyways because it's a private medication. So most doctors do their consults, you know, either via phone or via the video. So the best way, you know, if, if someone's listening and they're in a regional or rural area is definitely to head to our website. There is that screening process to make sure that before we even book you through with our doctor, you actually are eligible. But beyond that, we also do ask questions around just your health, like where your current journey is at the moment, what else we can offer outside of medicinal cannabis. And then, like I said, you know, we, all our doctors sort of able to do the consults to pretty much anyone, anywhere in Australia. And obviously at Astrid, we ship to every part of Australia as well. So in that regards, you know, it's sort of easier to access. But like I said, it's just finding the right place. You know, a lot of patients, they have either been through cannabis clinics and they haven't had a good experience or they literally like, you know, heard us from a friend because the government regulations does not allow us to sort of say or promote that we are, you know, providing medicinal cannabis. Like we always have to say it's plant medicine or progressive medicines and, and that makes it hard for patient, I guess, to to sort of know how to get to that first point of contact when they want to actually access medicinal cannabis. But, you know, majority of our referrals at Astrid has been word of mouth and I always feel that's a testament to the fact that we're actually doing all the right things. Beautiful. Well, I guess we've just got one more question that we ask at the end of all of our episodes. So if you could distill everything that you've learned and everything that you share down to one core essence, what do you think that one thing would be? Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting <laughs> Oh, we saved the best for last. <laughs> Feel free to take your time to think about it. Yeah, wow. That's a very big question. So, so that's in relation to professional. Or just whatever it comes can be to personal mind. Personal yeah. or professional. Yeah. Well, I think the core essence, I think for me, because of when I think about all the work I've done, like, you know, I've worked in Canberra, I've, I've done work in the Minister for Health office and with Scriptwise and even with Astrid now, I think the core essence is sort of like people actually have the ability to change systems. You know, I think with the last couple of years, we, we sort of feel like, you know, at times we're not able to, I guess, gain that power back or sort of able to sort of feel empowered even ourselves. But I think people really underestimate what they're able to do, either like as an individual or like, you know, 
through their experience to change like systems. So, you know, I think the core essence of like what I've seen and witnessed and when regulations have passed is all it really took was like one family or one person who went, no, this needs to change. And, you know, they're just fearless and they're just going to be that person that changes everything. So I think that's sort of probably in reflection of like this big question is what comes to mind. Beautiful. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you for everything that you're doing to create change and helping so many people with their health struggles and also to create systemic change as well. If you get a bit ground down, we're all cheering for you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I definitely needed that, especially the last week I've had. So I, I and even that question, I was like, "Wow, that's big." You know, sometimes I, I do think about what's ahead for us, but I really hope we're able to make a bigger impact. You know, not just around, you know, just medicinal cannabis, but hopefully we're able to, yeah, just sort of create a system beyond medicinal cannabis, a healthcare system that really allows, like, that is really about health like I know it sounds so simple but I think a lot of our patients would understand where I'm coming from yeah I definitely get it beautiful and I hope you enjoyed our conversation with B we'd like to thank our Patreon supporters for helping us make this episode possible you can also contribute by going to patreon.com slash flow artist podcast and just helping support the podcast We do touch on some mental health and addiction themes with this episode and if you're personally struggling, we urge you to reach out for help. We've included the contact numbers for Lifeline and Beyond Blue in our show notes. Our theme song is Baby Robots by GoSoul and is used with permission. Check out gosoul.bandcamp.com. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you spending your precious time with us. He aroha nui maua kia koutou katoa. Big, big love.